welcome to Just Following Up, a podcast dedicated to music PR, digital marketing, and editorial discussion. Thanks again to everybody who tuned in to our inaugural episode last week. We had a great conversation with Mitch Mosk of Atwood Magazine. Thanks again to Mitch for diving into some of those dynamics between publicists and journalists. Uh, Great chatting with you. This is always an interesting time of year, that uh, mid-January nook. Uh, We're all kind of coming back from the holiday hangover, uh, literally and figuratively, sort of getting back into the swing of things, getting back into a routine, which can be pretty tricky given the kind of holiday December shutdown for a lot of music industry folks. So um, yeah, now's that time of year where we're starting to sort of feel normal again, Uh, to a certain degree, I guess. But um, yeah, always nice to have that little bit of a break at the end of the year. It's definitely much needed in this industry. So last week we talked about the dynamic between journalists and publicists coming from a journalist's perspective. This week we are going to hear things from a publicist's perspective. Um, One of my very good friends and colleagues, Amanda Blyde, will be our guest. She is the director of publicity at an LA-based PR firm called Trend PR, which has been in business for quite a while now. They recently went through a uh, name and branding change as well. So we are going to chat with Amanda about what it's like being a music publicist in 2020. We are going to talk to Amanda about some of the biggest misconceptions about music PR. We are going to dive into some different platforms that publicists use to do their job and quite a lot of other fun stuff. So we are going to chat with Amanda here in just a moment. Here we go. All right. We are here with Amanda Blyde, who is the director of publicity at Trend PR. Say hey, Amanda. Hi. Thanks for taking some time to chat with us. We really appreciate your time. Um, Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and Trend PR and everything else. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, So, yeah, my name is Amanda. Um, I have been doing PR for the past 12 years um, at Trend. And I originally started in management. Um, I managed local bands and then I got into tour management and then um, somehow fell into PR, which, uh, you know, I didn't plan on that, but that's the way the music industry works. And, uh, 12 years later, here I am. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I actually had a very similar trajectory. I too started in artist management and quickly realized it was not for me. Yeah. I, it's like a 24 seven job. Um, you know, whereas I guess PR is too on certain levels. Like if you work for, um, someone like Beyonce, you're probably always on call, but, um, that's not necessarily the case with the artists I work with. So I get to still have some of my nights and weekends, but with management, that was never the case. Um, my phone was always ringing and you're in charge of everything. And if there's no team, you are the entire team. And, um, Yeah, I I enjoyed it, but I do like PR a lot, and I didn't ever plan on being a publicist, and I love it. 
Yeah, I feel like with artist management, you're sort of in charge of literally every facet of the artist's career. So you're dealing with the publicist, you're dealing with the booking agent, you're dealing with the publisher. So you really have a you're wearing a lot of hats, whereas publicists are sort of in one lane overseeing publicity and marketing. So I definitely feel that. Um, so in terms of uh, speaking of music PR, you and I have been doing this for a little while now. Yes. A lot has changed. Um, just this may be kind of a loaded question, but in terms of being a music publicist in 2020, what does that look like? What is it like? being a music publicist in the year 2020? Oh, man. Um, well, we have a lot more tools than we had when I first started in like 2008 or 2009. I don't remember. Um, and some of those tools I appreciate, like uh, now we have way more social media than we have when I started. I think when I started PR, it was still like the days of MySpace and bands were like getting signed off of having so many followers on MySpace or friends rather. And now we have, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and all of these different ways to share your music and tap into an audience that you may not have found otherwise. So that's really interesting and a good tool for us. Um, you know, and, and then of course, Spotify. I think a lot of uh, PR is like moving a bit into Spotify, which I'm not sure I like because I associate Spotify with like a radio promoter's job, but I'm having more and more clients ask me about Spotify playlisting. And of course, a lot of the, the blogs and publications we work with have their own Spotify playlist. So I kind of end up pitching not only to get press on a certain publication, but also now, can you also add this song to your like weekly Spotify playlist? Um, so that's, that's an interesting turn that I wasn't, um, that I didn't foresee happening. Um, sure. yeah. And then I think one of the main differences that from back when I started to now is, you know, we used to really have to develop a story with an artist to make them sound interesting and put in a press release. And that's still the case, except there's a lot less press outlets that do long form stories. And now you're having more of like a quick one or two sentence about a song and then they post the video or a song of the day or um, lists, you know, the top 10 songs for your spring weekend or something like that. Whereas we used to pitch a whole story angle and write a press release and get people really interested in something specific about an artist. And then they would do long form interviews or cover features or, you know, stories in print magazines or print newspaper. And that's not really the case anymore. Um, there's still places like Consequence of Sound who do really great long form stories, but they're like few and far in between uh, compared to what it used to be, which I, I have mixed feelings on. I mean, it's great in the sense that you get some quicker turnaround on some features because it's not as long form. But I found that those stories 
really help connect an artist to the audience because it's it's more than just the music. It's like, how do you relate to this artist aside from just liking a song? And I think that's how you develop like your super fans and people who follow you like year after year because they're interested not only in your music, but you as a person. Yeah, and I think that um, the the audience in general and the way people consume music is responsible for a lot of that because unfortunately for music publicists and for artists and people who work for music publications websites don't generate as much traffic as they used to right and so you mentioned social media and spotify playlists that is an entirely new layer of pr that has come into existence and I would actually argue that getting the Instagram post or getting the tweet from the account with 50,000 plus followers sometimes is more valuable than the write-up itself, especially if there's only a line or something about the song. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, so it really has created this new layer, and I agree with you. Some of the integrity of some of these music features has kind of dim been diminished a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I mean, everything is so saturated and I, yeah. there are a lot of artists who are super grateful to have that write up with like one or two lines. So it is, yeah, we, absolutely. you know, we yeah. talked a little bit about this last week with Mitch and um, just kind of the this new landscape that we're in right now. And it's he mentioned that it was kind of in flux. And I, I sort of agree with that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I don't want this to sound like this is the writer's fault for doing like less long form articles. I don't believe that at all. I think that a lot of the issue lies in the fact that writers aren't getting paid or they're getting paid significantly less than they used to, because the first thing that's always cut at a magazine or a local publication is the music column. So you have less and less music writers and more people taking up freelance. And so you know, when you're not getting paid, uh, you know, a salary to write every day about music, people are, you know, they're, they're less likely to take on an article that's going to take so long for them to put the effort into, do the research, do the interview and talk when you're not actually getting paid for that. Because at the end of the day, like this is somebody's time and this is their career and that's their job. And, you know, I, that's unfortunate that editors aren't, aren't paying writers as well. And that writers are getting, um, turning into like, oh, just submit us an article for free and we'll post it. And you know, that that like sucks for them. And I, I hate that. <laughs> I'm having a yeah. lot of writers come to me and complain and um, saying like, you know, I can't really do that right now because I have to, you know, allocate my time towards like a place where they're getting paid to write, which is maybe not calling for long form journalism. Maybe it's lists you know, put, putting together a playlist for a certain, you know, like um, Halloween or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's, th that's been a big difference compared to when I first started and there was so many more writers, so many more. Um, yeah. Being, being a writer is, uh, is definitely a tough line of work. I mean, we as publicists, have plenty of gripes about what we do. Ultimately, we love it, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. But we, you know, we complain a lot. And, but honestly, I feel like writers and journalists have it way worse because the pay is much worse, um, especially for aspiring journalists who are 
maybe starting up a music publication or a blog that they don't necessarily make money off of, but is sort of a sought after, like, but you know, they're basically constantly getting hit up by publicists for features and coverage, et cetera. Um, And they have these demanding publicists who are like, where's the coverage yet? You know, that this is like something that I'm not getting paid for. And it's a, it's a labor of love and it's, I'm a college student in a dorm room and I'm trying to get into the industry uh, so it's really uh, tough to kind of be successful as a journalist. And I think a, a lot of PR people kind of forget about that. And I try and put things in perspective as much as possible when I'm pitching people or following up, uh, as I'm sure, you know, I, I'm I think we probably share a lot of the, the those same approaches. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there, I think you used to on release day. um you know, you'd say, okay, the song's out now, days before we had SoundCloud, where you were not able to like pre-pitch like you can now, whereas before you would physically send an MP3 or a physical press kit. Um, And now we can send like private SoundCloud links or a private Dropbox link or something like that. And so on the day of, you'd have all this press come out. And now I have to consider, like, if I'm working with a college student, I know that the morning of Friday, when my song's out, they're in class. So it's worth it for me to give them, like, maybe an embed code in advance so that they can publish things on the back end to go live while they're in school. Because you can't expect a student who's doing this for free because they love music and they want to break in, like you said, to, you know, it might be like an important day for us because it's our day job, but they have class. So I try to be considerate about all that and give people as far notice as I can, give them all the assets in advance, given bed codes, whatever it is they need so that everything can just be ready to go. And most, you know, a lot of blogs use like a WordPress site where you can schedule when you want something to go live and, you know, just trying to be considerate of the writer because they have a lot going on too. And, you know, they're not always available the same time as we are. Also, you have blogs around the world. You know, I'm sure you and I both work with a lot of the same writers where some of them are in London, some of them in the Philippines, they're in Japan. And so we're on totally different time zones as well. So I might be in the office, like I need to get in touch with this person, but it's four in the morning and they're asleep. So, um, you know, it's just being considerate of people's time and trying to be an easy person to work with. I have found that a lot of writers enjoy working with me because of that, because I'm considerate of that and not trying to be demanding and like, you know, breathe down people's necks about something that they're possibly not getting paid to do. Absolutely. I think that making the writer's life as easy as possible is super important and overlooked I've heard some some incredible horror stories from writers and I just think like people do this publicists yeah. actually do this it's kind of insane so um well thanks for for going into some of that um with us I think a lot of the if there's any aspiring publicists out there who are listening this is super valuable information since we are talking about short form versus long form and being easy with setup and everything. Let's talk about premieres, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So I have my own opinions about premieres. I've I've been working in PR and digital marketing for 
about eight years now. So I've kind of seen, you've been doing it for a little bit longer than I have. So I, I've sort of, I came in when like premieres were like where it was at. Like yeah, the like- premiere was, premiere was king in 2011, 2012. So I've seen the evolution of the premiere and I've seen how a lot of writers and journalists feel about premieres. Uh, how do you feel about premieres? Um, I hate them. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I think there's a time and place for a premiere. I think that when you are an artist of a certain caliber and you're premiering your song for the first time on like Good Morning America, that makes sense. Um, and that's a relationship between the artist and that news network that makes sense because you're both benefiting from it. Um, the artist is going to get the morning audience that maybe they normally wouldn't get. And someone like Good Morning America is going to get all of these people tuning in to see this one bands that they might not normally tune into the show. So that makes sense to me. I think premiering your song just for the sake of having a premiere doesn't really benefit the artist or the publication that you're doing the premiere with because you could be alienating some people who um, maybe some writer wants to write about you, but then they saw that you premiered with like their competitor and now they're kind of ticked off and they don't want to write about you. I've had that happen to me before. Um, But at the same time, if you're premiering your song with like NPR first listen, that's a fantastic look. That makes sense to me as long as, you know, the band is in line with NPR's sound. Um, but I think the idea of just getting a premiere so that you can post on your social medias, you know, we had this premiere somewhere, uh, is not, it doesn't have the benefit that it used to have. And it's frustrating from a publicist perspective, and I'm sure you felt this as well, where if I have like a baby band that nobody's heard of that I'm trying to break into the music scene, it's really tough to tell someone like, hey, premiere this band you've never heard of. They're not going to drive a lot of traffic to your website because they don't have a huge fan base yet, but please premiere them. It's it's a little tough to to do that. And then what happens is I'm spending all my time pitching premieres to 30 different outlets when I could be pitching day of music press and maybe they would have said yes to featuring you and saying like check out this new band but not so much a premiere because they're not going to get the traffic for a premiere so their editor might not approve it and so instead of saying yes on a normal feature they're saying no on a premiere and now we have a no across the board and i just think that your time can be allocated better if you're just letting me pitch people for whatever type of coverage I think that outlet would do for you. Um, Yeah, it just becomes tough because you're spending so much time for what? Just to so that you can get like a couple of retweets on a Thursday. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't find it beneficial if it's not the right place. I think the the days of the premiere being king are going to the wayside and. I mean, at least I hope they are. <laughs> and I know a lot of other publicists feel the same way. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my opinion on on where I currently feel about premieres. I used to love them. And um, now it's, it, it's, it's oversaturated. I agree with you really across the board. I mean, the obsession with premieres is absolutely real. I have 
just endless conversations with artists and clients about premieres. And yeah, there is an obsession with getting that premiere look. There's sort of an aura around the word premiere that people tend to really love. And they think that if we don't have a premiere secured before the song hits DSPs, then we've kind of failed. And really, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it doesn't drive a lot of traffic. The other problem too, if, you're, if we're talking uh, strictly from a digital marketing perspective, you're essentially sending all of your core followers and fans to a private embed before the song hits DSPs. And once right. the song does hit DSPs, now you've already got that message out the day earlier and all of your core followers have listened via the private embed. So you're losing out on a ton of streams and uh, ultimately, yeah, you, you're wasting a lot of time and resources chasing premieres and first impressions are also super important. I mean, like you said, somebody could pass on the premiere that might have said yes to a profile or some other kind of feature. So I think that uh, premieres can be beneficial in so in very specific circumstances, I typically, depending on the artist, will set sort of like a priority list of outlets. Like, listen, if we get NPR, paper, billboard, or nylon, then let's we'll do pay. it. And that's totally worth it. And we can get a great quote from that. And that's going to be very yeah. useful in terms of leveraging DSPs and industry uh, credibility. Um, but... Yeah, anything other than that, I think, is sort of counterintuitive. So yeah, definitely on, on the same page with that. And um, I've been trying to sort of preach this this mentality. And it's really tough kind of getting people to shift over from the old way of thinking. Yeah, it 100% is. And I'm hoping more and more move towards it. I have a couple of bands right now that get it. And... You know, one of the things, too, that a lot of bands don't think about is so Spotify, if you get on one of their official playlists or their new music Friday playlist, Spotify considers that the premiere. So you won't get on that playlist if you premiere your song the day before with Lady Gun because now it's already been premiered. And so, you know, I have a band that constantly gets on Spotify playlists. So they're, they've asked me not to get them a premiere because they don't want to ruin their chances for that, that new music spot. And that's really important in the days of streaming. So that's another thing I think a lot of people don't consider. And you're absolutely right. If our premiere is through a SoundCloud link, the chances of someone then listening to the song again on Spotify the next day, some will, people who really love the song, but for the casual listener who was like, let me just check this out, they're not going to then listen to it on Spotify, so you're losing those streams. And, you know, that's unfortunate as well, and we can't really, we can't really do anything about it, and you can't get a Spotify embed in advance, so that, you know, you just, you're kind of missing out on people who maybe would have downloaded the song or added it to their playlist or, you know, something like that. Totally. Um, so let's, here's to hoping that premieres kind of continue to be phased out. I think hopefully yes. here in the next couple of years, people will kind of embrace the, the no premiere approach. But um, premieres are definitely one of the hot topics in, in terms of music PR and marketing. So thank you for your insight on that. 
Um, one of the other hot topics, actually, that I see a lot of discussion on, and I'm really excited to talk to you about this and hear your opinion, uh, how do you feel about platforms like SubmitHub? Ooh, I knew you were going there. I knew it. <laughs> well, we You're great right. minds think alike. Yeah, so I have mixed feelings on SubmitHub, as I'm sure you probably do as well. Um, and here's why. So going back to what we talked about earlier about people not paying writers, uh, submit hub, um, for anyone who's not aware, it's a platform where if you pay a dollar to whatever publication is listed on submit hub, they will listen to your song and either feature it on their blog or give you feedback on why they're not going to feature it. So this has created a way for writers to actually get paid again. So from the writer's standpoint, it's great because you're just logging on and you're getting to listen to some songs and you get a percentage of that money that comes in. So from that perspective, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for, for those people, but on the flip side, you know, it cuts into my job and what I've worked really hard to secure a set of contacts and real relationships with people which I still think are important regardless of if you use submit hub or not, because I have journalists that I work with that their publication is on submit hub, but I can still email them and get coverage that way because we have a personal connection, even though people they don't know are able to just reach out to them and, and pay a little money and get some sort of feedback from them. So I still think it's really important, obviously to have real relationships and contacts with people. Um, but I really dislike the way that submit hub takes away from the personalization. So for example, if you submit to ear milk on submit hub, you don't get to select which writer you're pitching to. So you might be pitching a singer songwriter song that you know is great for one writer, but the first person to log on to submit hub happens to be the hip hop writer. And then they decline your song because they don't cover singer songwriter. And right. that's unfortunate because maybe the song really would have worked for ear milk, but the wrong writer opens the song and there's really no, you can't repitch it again. So I, I don't like that you can't personalize I find that, you know, PR is a lot about obviously personal relationships and pitching the right contacts. I don't, I don't pass out like mass amounts of email, like, Hey guy, please write about my band. Everything is personalized to knowing who the writer is and what they like and what kind of features they do. And submit hub takes away from that because you're just literally submitting a song and you have no control over who listens to it. Um, but on the flip side, I mean, I guess that saves a lot of time from the writer's end. They don't have to read through like long emails. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I think I agree with you. Submit hub is kind of a deeply flawed platform. And, and, uh, in that way that you mentioned in terms of getting in touch with the, the correct writer, I also am not a fan of, so say there's a blog that has a sizable Spotify playlist and they also have a SoundCloud playlist that has a considerably smaller following, and then they have the blog, you don't get to choose what specific um, outlet within that platform yeah. that you're submitting to. So yeah. I would love to be able to submit to the big Spotify playlist, but unfortunately you cannot. So you submit to the, the brand, the blog in general, and, and then they decide 
Eh, I'm uh, I'm not going to put you on my big Spotify playlist. I'm going to put you on the SoundCloud playlist with 12 followers. So I'm not a fan of that. I'd love to be able to sort of pick and choose like which yeah. uh, specific lane within that outlet that uh, I'm able to pitch to. Um, on the flip side, although Submit Hub is deeply flawed, I do think that there it, it can be super beneficial in a few different ways. I think number one, it can be very useful if you know how to use it correctly. Absolutely. I see a lot of a lot of people complaining, oh, it's a waste of money. I just poured a uh, hundred bucks into this campaign and I got two approvals and it's like, okay, did well, you actually- in the correct places to begin right. with. Right, so did you go through and, and actually read the specific notes with each outlet? Did you just mass blast like 80 different blogs uh, just to do it. So I think that's a big part of it. People, it, it really requires some research and just kind of messing around with the platform and figuring out the best way to do it. I think maybe there are some publicists out there who are who don't like it by default because maybe they think that their job is becoming obsolete. However, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case, really. I think that SubmitHub is so automated of a platform. There's really, there's never going to be a substitute for personal relationships. And Absolutely. I think a lot of the outlets on SubmitHub are kind of those, like we talked about earlier, some of those uh, startup blogs that are trying to get traction in industry notoriety. You're not going to see Nylon Magazine on SubmitHub. You're not going to see Billboard on uh, on SubmitHub. These are going to remain as kind of these bigger publishers. So I don't think that publicists need to worry about that. I think publicists really should try and embrace it more as a tool because I typically, for, for our campaigns, will sort of use a combination of both, right? So we have personal relationships that we know we can tap into outside of a platform like SubmitHub. But at the same time, there's a few, there's a handful of outlets that will only accept submissions through SubmitHub. And it also can take quite a bit of stuff off your plate as well, um, if you know how to use it correctly. So um, yeah, I think to those who kind of say it's a waste of money or it's a scam, I think that's very incorrect. I think as if you know how to use it correctly, um, it can be a super useful tool. Absolutely. And you have to, you still have to know who you're pitching. Uh, you know, you can take a hundred dollars and just click the first hundred blogs, which I'm sure some people do. And that's why they complain. But if you actually hone in on the people who are writing in your genre, um, it can be a useful tool. They also have the chat option. So once you start uh, pitching a certain place, if they allow you to chat with them, you can connect a little on there. And, you know, I've, I have created a few personal relationships through the back end of submit hub of people who've just featured some of my artist songs a few times. And now we chat on the, in the little, um, chat window there. So that's kind of been beneficial. Um, I think the flip side too is, um, you know, now anybody can, or any, everybody thinks they can be their own publicist by just logging on to Submit Hub and pitching their band. And that's great for, um, you know, people who don't have a PR budget and their music is quality and they want to just like get some feedback or get a couple of hits. But 
you also have people who their music's just not ready and maybe it's not mixed, maybe it's not mastered and they're, they're sending out their song on submit hub. And I'm seeing like on submit hub places that are talking about what they, their likes and dislikes. And I've seen several places say, please don't send me anything unmixed or unmastered. And to me, I'm just like, what, who does that? Why would you send your stuff out when it's not ready? Um, so I, I think there, there's a little bit of oversaturation on there as well. I mean, I guess with anything, but you're right in terms of if you know how to use it, like it'll work for you if you work it correctly. Um, but if you just go on there willy nilly, hoping like you can just toss some money at it and you're going to get a bunch of features, um, that's not going to be a great use of your time or money. Totally. Yeah. I've, that's kind of the biggest complaint that I've seen. The other biggest complaint about it, which I actually totally agree with, is the feedback is it's outrageous. I mean, some of the some of the, the feedback on there, it's it's like I also am not interested in anybody A&Ring my song like that's really not the purpose of this. Um, like, I don't need to know that the bass should be louder at like 140. Like, that's completely irrelevant. And we're not going to remix the song based on some yeah. feedback. So, um, you know, it, like I said, again, it is flawed, but if you know how to use it, can be super useful, especially for Spotify playlists. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've used it more and more for Spotify playlisting, which I've gotten, I would say I've probably gotten more luck out of that feature than the blog coverage. Because again, some of your feedback, at the end of the day, the feedback is all opinions. It's not anyone who's giving you feedback that's really gonna change your song. It's more like, uh, you know what, it's just not for me. More and more of the feedback is like, oh, I just don't like the vocals. And all of that's just like your own personal feelings. It's nothing that's really super helpful. However, I did get one of my favorite pieces of feedback. I worked with an artist who was produced by Quincy Jones. And the feedback I got was the song's great, but the producer's awful. They need to work with someone else. And I wanted to write back so bad Quincy fucking Jones, but I just was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's, a, there's actually a great, Twitter account called Best of Submit Hub, and oh, I feel like that needs to go on there. Yeah, yeah, there's stuff like that where I'm like, okay, guy behind your keyboard who's trying to tell Quincy Jones what to do. Right. It, yeah. It's again not a fan of the feedback whatsoever, but it is nice that they can give feedback, and there are, there are plenty of artists who are just kind of getting started who may find some of it valuable. So. Um, but anyway, I wanted to have a very candid conversation about Submit Hub with a publicist like yourself. So thanks for going into yes. some of that with us. Um, so this is kind of my last topic of discussion here. Um, what does a typical day look like for you? Somebody that's looking to get into PR. Uh, I know that uh, our days are probably different in different ways. Different publicist days are can differ, but I'd love to hear kind of what your typical day is like. Okay, great. So unfortunately, the typical day is never typical. It changes every day, as you probably know, depending on if my band's on tour or if we're pitching a new song or album or music video, um, you know, the day is always different, but I would say like 
as much of a standard as there is because I'm based on the West Coast. Um, by the time I get into the office, it is already noon in New York City. And we work with a lot of journalists who live on the East Coast. So the first thing I do, aside from obviously like checking emails and whatnot, um, I get all my pitching done in the morning because I need to pitch so that people are opening my emails and it's not 10 o'clock at night for them. So I try to spend the morning doing more of my email pitching and things like that. And then the afternoon will be more of writing press releases, brainstorming with my team on ideas of uh, release strategy or creating some sort of story around a band that's more than just like, hey, singer songwriter has a new song. Um, the afternoons are spent more on, you know, brainstorming that kind of idea or going through my lists and thinking, okay, which outlets would work really well for this? Um, because as I mentioned earlier, I do not mass pitch people at all. Um, so I will build my lists on Google Docs and then put everything in so that when I come in in the morning, I can just pitch all those people in the AM when it's a reasonable time. Um, that's, I guess, the basic part of that. And then, of course, you're going to get phone calls from your clients. There's a lot of like hand-holding and, and talking and explaining um, what's happening with their campaign. Sometimes I have to explain what my job is. <laughs> There's a lot of people who think I'm a promoter and not a publicist, which is fun. Um, sure, yeah. Most of my family still doesn't really know what I do. Yeah. I had a band once call me and ask, they were on tour, and they were like, how come our posters aren't hanging in the music stores? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? They thought that it was like my job to send all the posters to all the local music shops. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what I do. Um, and I was like, but you know, you got all those show reviewers coming out tonight. So I, I did my job. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of um, brainstorming that goes on. And, you know, I have a a few interns every semester. And I find, you know, back when I was first starting out and I interned places, um, I worked at one place where I just like ran food and got coffee and I didn't learn that much. And so I've always vowed to never be that person in my position, I don't make my interns like move my car or like get coffee for me or anything like that. My interns, they're doing pitching, they're writing press releases, they're brainstorming ideas. They're doing a lot of what I'm doing so that when they leave, they are equipped to go into the PR world. Um, so we do a lot of stuff in our office where, um, you know, we're team, we're team working. Our, our office is set up in a big open space. Uh, so we're all connected and we can speak to one another and, and float through ideas on, Hey, what about this place? And more than just music publications, uh, there's the branding aspects of things. Like, what do you do in your day that makes you different from every other artist? And maybe it's that you're vegan and we can pitch, you know, vegan blogs or magazines about, uh, how you eat on the road, or maybe you work with a charity. Um, you know, we've done charity uh, things with like the American Heart Association. We've done stuff with the Trevor Project or, you know, different places like that where it's not your traditional means of PR. And a lot of that comes through our brainstormings of like, oh, you know what? This song is a song about like 
someone's sister who died of a heroin overdose. So maybe we need to connect an organization of recovery into our, our story. And maybe the proceeds of a song go towards that organization. And now instead of having a premiere with like, yeah, a billboard, uh, we're actually putting it on the website of this charity and driving traffic that way. And, you know, really honing in on our message. So I would say that a lot of the day is either pitching or brainstorming ideas of how we're going to pitch. And then also if my band's on tour, which I usually have two or three on tour, it's a lot of um, reaching out to local publications, newspapers, photographers in those individual cities. Um, And sometimes that involves phone calls, not as much now as I would say in like 2010 when I was early off doing this. Um, but there's still a few, you know, calling your local newspapers. Um, that's not really the case with bloggers, though. I think they would be really upset if you just started calling their cell phones. We could have an entire other episode dedicated to call versus email. And yeah. I feel like it would be a very interesting and maybe even heated uh, episode. So we'll save that for another time. Yes. Um, <laughs> So real quick, before we go, this is your opportunity to kind of uh, pimp your uh, agency and any clients that you're excited about. Where can people find you? All of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, again, at Trend PR. So our website is uh, trendpr.com. And, you know, it's worth noting that our agency also has a social media division. So we work with a lot of our clients' um, socials as well, especially when you're touring. It's not as easy to to handle all of that. Um, so we do that as well, um, which is great for them. Uh, let's see. So I'm, I'm working with uh, Congos, which is a rock band that's really awesome. And they've been doing a trilogy of records. And so part three will be coming out later this year which I'm really excited about. Um, and they're constantly touring, which makes my life honestly a lot of fun because they're uh, they're really great to work with, which I'm excited about. Um, I have an artist locally here in Los Angeles um, named Nadia Vea, and she's just like a powerhouse. She's really sassy. She's a lot of fun. Um, so I've enjoyed working with her. We put out a holiday single in December, and she has so much new more material for the new year um that i think people will be really excited about um and then we we work with this indie band called ruby red that's so fucking phenomenal um they put out some music at the end of the year really really created a buzz around la and they've just been doing so super well and the press is like eating them up, which I enjoy because, you know, every once in a while you work with a band where you know that the band is phenomenal. And then sometimes the press just doesn't get it. And it's really disheartening because you want, you want it so bad for them. Um, So it's nice when you're working with a band like Ruby red, where you're like, they're so good and you feel it. And then the press also gets on board and um, it's, that's exciting to me. So yeah, those are just like a few of the people that we're working with that are really awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking us through that. I'm sure that people will have some awesome new artists to check out. Congo, I'm sure a lot of people are already familiar with. Um, but Ruby Red, um, I actually have not heard of them. So 
Um, I'm super excited to check them out as well. Amanda, thanks so much for your time. Um, it was really great chatting with you. Um, and yeah, I hope you have a really awesome start to your 2020. Yes, you as well. Thank you so much. And I uh, look forward to hearing all your future episodes. Thank you so much. All right. Talk soon. Always great chatting with Amanda. So much valuable information. So much good insight. Thanks again to Amanda Blyde from Trend PR for chatting with us. As always, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, still very early days, but We've gotten a lot of great feedback thus far, and I'm super excited to keep the conversation going and chat with many more of the music industry community. I'd like to take a moment to recognize what's happening in Australia right now. It's just absolutely devastating. So many lives and animals have been lost, and um, it's just really, really tragic to watch what's going on over there. That being said, if you'd like more information about donating to the cause of fighting those fires over in Australia, uh, please visit our Twitter and Instagram accounts. We've posted about some different charities that you can donate to. Every little bit helps. Um, you can find that information at uh, on Twitter at JFUPod. That's JFUPod. Or on Instagram at JFUPod as well. Uh, for future episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your content. Thanks so much again for tuning in. I'm your host, Nate Sirota. This has been Just Following Up, and we look forward to being with you next week. I see through the static, no need for dramatic, we're on our own planet.